as we prepare to study Acts 19, starting with verse 17, let's begin with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to know you through our Lord Jesus Christ and have fellowship with one another. And may we love the truth and learn from your word. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we are, Luke 19, 17, and we'll go to the text. Fear fell and Jesus was magnified. One of the things about the narrative unity of Luke Acts is there are repeated themes that are often revealed through Luke's use of terminology. You wouldn't, you'd be amazed at how many times I look up passages from the Greek and then use Logos software to search just Luke Acts, you can narrow it down, or the entire New Testament. And many times there are important and sometimes technical terms that only Luke uses in the entire New Testament because he had a very robust uh, vocabulary. And other times he uses things in repeated ways in order to show narrative unity. So we see that with the terms here. Let me read it. Acts nineteen seventeen. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Now, what had happened here is that, could someone read verse 16? That was on a previous PowerPoint. There should be a mic there. I've got to get it dialed in anyhow. Yeah, so 1916. Yes. It says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And what we learned from that was that deliverance from Satan is a removal through the gospel from the domain of darkness and transfer into the kingdom of God through Christ. Now, seeing how this happened and seeing Paul preach in the name of Jesus and, and magnify Christ, the magicians, the exorcists, decided that it's based on knowing names. And so if you know the right name, the sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, says, here, we adjure you, I'm thinking of the King James, by Jesus, whom Paul preached. Okay, second person, or third person, they don't, they don't really know him. And it didn't turn out well for them. But this theme is a continuation of themes in uh, Luke, okay, throughout Luke. And then Acts continues on that. So here we have the spread of the gospel through a mighty act of God that was done by Paul, an apostle appointed by Christ himself. And this demonstrated that the way of freedom from everything that terrified 
the people, be they Jews or Greeks, is only found in the person of Christ. And that is the point. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was being magnified. Now, the name of the Lord being magnified reminds us of things that happened earlier in Luke. I, I get sometimes nice and sometimes kind of nasty emails from people responding to different things that we've written about over the last 30 years, including those who claim that Jesus came to bring his kingdom uh, to Israel, but since had they accepted it, then we would never, the gospels wouldn't be necessary for Christians. And there's a guy named Les Feldig that teaches that. I got kind of a nasty email from somebody about that. But they they don't understand because they don't know how to read Luke Acts as a single or two-volume work by one author. And if that's someone, and if you hear that or if you've been taught that, others less extreme than hyper-dispensationalism, that's what Feldig teaches, don't rob yourself of the glory of what God's done here by narrowing your focus based on some eccentric teacher. No teacher has been inspired to write scripture. Scripture alone is authoritative. Luke's writings, Luke was a traveling partner with Paul at some of these times. He, he gathered his material from eyewitnesses, which he said, it's brilliant. Why would you listen to some false teacher when you can read Luke Acts for yourself and the reading of it is where we learn? So did I say anything about Jesus in uh, curing the demoniac in the Gerasenes last week? I don't know. We were doing a podcast yesterday and I covered it on the podcast. And I may have mentioned it in a sermon a while back. So after Jessica and I did this podcast, and which is recorded, so I actually have to get dressed up from here up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, when you're over 70, you get, you know, grace. <laughs> Anyhow, after that, it, I wanted to make sure I had it right. So I went back, and I'll, I'll try to get some of these that I haven't marked up. Jesus steals the sea, Luke eight twenty two. okay? So they get in a boat, and what did they fear? The sea. What did they fear a lot? The Jews. Dying at sea. Eric has mentioned that when he was teaching Revelation. Why does it mention that the sea gives up the dead? Because dying at sea was the most horrible thing. The sea is where the demons are. It's the horrible thing, like the abyss. And so a fierce gale, master, master, we are perishing. Perishing there, apolumi, I think, in the Greek. It's used a number of times for uh, coming to being destroyed. And what happened in Luke uh, 8... 25, I have it right here. He said to them, where is your faith? 
they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? They feared this. They didn't have a, a ship that was built to withstand that. They had a wooden boats that could sink later in Acts, by the way. There, we'll go over this again. There's a shipwreck. They fe- people feared that. The ancient people feared that. And so there's a lesson here. And there's repeated terminology. And look at here at our passage. Fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord was magnified. The fear is seeing the mighty power of God compared to the hopeless situation where the man with the demons overcame them and they fled naked and wounded. Now that also reminded me of Luke eight twenty six through 39. I think I have a slide for that. There it is, Luke eight thirty nine. That's so how I'm going to get to it. <clears throat> we'll start at the end. We'll use a little um, dramatic effect here. Luke eight thirty nine. Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. Now this was the guy who was out of his mind in a cemetery, never went to a home, whatever home he came from. And it said he often was chained, and it was a horrible, the worst condition you can think of, Gentile territory, Gentile man, and he wanted to follow Jesus. And, you, and, and what did Jesus do? He sent him back and described what great things God did for him. This man was so transformed that he was in a Gentile town. In fact, it says literally, I, I did some more research. I spent yesterday doing this after we did a podcast. I had to get this. I'll see if I can get it for you for, next, for the next time I teach. Tell the story of how much, how much God has done for you. And so he went proclaiming the mighty deeds of God. Okay, in the beginning of Luke, the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they proclaim what God is going to do. They magnify the Lord, both men and women. I believe the reason for that is because Luke is already preparing us for the fulfillment of Joel. Is it 2.28? Okay, this is a previous, it's unbelievably brilliant writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. So in Luke Acts, those who believe in Christ are delivered from the power of darkness. The sons of Sceva, the Jewish high priests, they had a big problem. What was it? They didn't know Christ. Here, I can go back to that. See if I can navigate this computer. Go ahead, please. As you're doing that, I was going to just mention um, when Jesus calms the sea, it's interesting that that shows his divinity. I remember in Job 9.8, I just looked it up again, where the question is, it's asked by Job, who alone tramples down the waves of the sea? 
and the implied answer is it's Yahweh alone. Yep, and so as Jesus is trampling down the waves of the sea, he's demonstrating that he's Yahweh. And as you've pointed out, Bob, they're more fearful now of him than they were of the storm because yes. it dawns on them who this is. Just like in Luke 5 where it dawns on Peter when Jesus has him fish on that one side of the boat and he gets all that fish, it dawns on him who this is. Depart, Depart from, from me, you're a sinful, I'm a sinful man. Exactly. See, the power of God should scare us. Absolutely. Like John eight fifty eight. Um, you know, before Abraham was, I am. That is Yahweh. Yahweh's name is rooted in the yuktol verb. It's a, it sounds like a karate chop, hayah. And literally, it's I will be who I will be. Yiktol is looking forward, typically. But the, um, the idea is that he always is. And so his name, Yahweh, is a verb of being, which accentuates his eternality. And so Jesus is affirming that he is yeah. Yahweh in John eight fifty eight. Absolutely. Yeah, the I am statements in John yeah. show that. So, <laughs> yes, and um, as a matter of fact, once you see this, before you kind of jump all over, the first thing to do is this. Read Luke Acts. Just get those two books ready and read them, starting with Luke, and then read Acts. And I've been teaching from Luke Acts like this now for almost 20 years, and it's unbelievable. It's amazing. It's there to read, okay? And my favorite teacher... Dr. Versa put uh, after the seminary, before I met Eric, but after the seminary decided they wanted to make money, and so the good teachers left, and they went to Bill Hybels and type stuff, seeker sensitive, and psychology, and then it went, it got worse from there, it went emergent. That's when I met Eric. <laughs> but he said, This is going to be a very unique class. We're going to read the Bible. And we're going to start, we were in Matthew, read the text. And you, when I give you assignment, Dr. Versput said, your grade will be based on your ability to read. You can use commentaries, but be aware they may hurt your grade because a lot of them will lead you astray. But he didn't say which ones. And so we had to learn how to read. And I'm thankful for that. And I've been working on that ever since. And that was in the mid-90s or late 90s. So repeated terms. People who write, whether they're the ones inspired by the Spirit or secular writers, use uh, ways of expressing ideas for people to understand. Okay? And Luke is not only a brilliant writer... He's inspired by the Spirit, and he had the facts. He traveled with Paul. He interviewed people. And then what we have is Luke Acts. So when somebody emails me and says, well, you got it wrong because of some passage in Matthew or something else, I won't listen until they show me they really understand Luke Acts. Only one person wrote Acts. It wasn't John. It wasn't Matthew. It wasn't Mark. It was Luke. Now, I'm not saying you can't go elsewhere, but do Luke Acts first and then see the narrative unity, all right? And um, 
I hope that I can do some justice to this. So look at, as we went back to last time, these people failed. Now, why did they fail? We talked about this. They failed because they didn't have true faith in Jesus. They didn't have a relationship with God through Christ. They wanted power and they made money doing it. We'll see as we go forward that manipulating the world of the spirits is was very, very lucrative. And people feared the demons, death, sickness, and they understood there is a world of the spirits. Now, at one point in church history, it was hard to convince people of that because of rationalism. Now they're back to the world of the spirits. And the people who claim to be able to control the world of the spirits by using the name of Jesus are getting rich doing it, but they're false teachers. Okay? And um, I think I've shown that to you. This is relational, not technological. It's up here. See that? I believe that's correct. What do I mean by relational, not technological? Technological is based on technique that can be repeated and it'll work. Bob Larson has a book. I didn't bring my show and tell. It says you have interview the demons and force them to tell you the name of the head demon. And once you start getting names and functions, you can work your way through and get a person delivered. But see, the demons are running the whole scheme. And they're liars, and they have bad intentions. You don't get delivered from demons by knowing names. Even Larson and company misread the whole point here of the gathering narrative. And the point is the person of Christ, not a technique. Do you get it? It's not legion. It's not swine. It's who is Jesus Christ. Okay. That's seen here by that highlight. I highlighted this in red. Jesus, I know. Well, the demons in Luke Acts know very well who Jesus is, and they're worried that he's going to torment them before the time. The time will be coming, but not yet. The disciples rejoice the demons are subject to them. Bad idea. Don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book. Now, what's the issue? Relationship. How do you have the relationship? Only through redemption and atonement, forgiveness of sins. I think I mentioned in Luke 5, they come to find with a paralyzed guy. If you're paralyzed, anyone paralyzed would think, with all that we do know, my greatest problem is I'm paralyzed. And some very industrious people got him in, in front of Jesus through the crowd. He says, your sins are forgiven. They're disappointed. Why? Because they don't understand what they really need. And so what's the point? So that no one will be paralyzed and then they die and go to hell afterwards? Or is it the forgiveness of sins? In order that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, arise and walk. Okay. P. 
Peter, uh, the mic to Dad. Your dad. Yeah, this same problem is going on today. People are not understanding their real need. Instead, they're going after felt needs and even taking surveys. Of course, you've talked yeah. about this. Yeah, I know. Our real need is forgiveness of sins. And they don't even talk about it. Okay, Peter knew his need, but the whole process of Luke is faltering. At one point, he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Later, they're fearful and amazed. And then later, they get bold and argue about who's the greatest. And so this whole thing is learning the lesson that we need to learn. Who is Jesus Christ? Why did he come? And uh, why? what is our greatest need? To be free from problems or to know our name is written in the book of life and have forgiveness because of the knowledge of forgiveness of sins. So this is a review of issues of the earlier Luke. So in Luke 9, the disciples, there's a failed exorcism. But then they argue who's the greatest. And why do I say deliverance is relational? You find that throughout Luke, Acts, and throughout the Bible, quite frankly. The power of God in Christ is there to redeem us so that we may have a relationship with God as we are filled with the Spirit, not a second blessing, but a relationship with God, and a lifetime and of an eternity of blessings, then are, we know what we need to know. So these failed exorcists weren't interested in actually knowing Jesus. They wanted the technique because you could sell that. Now we're going to see as we go forward how valuable power in the world of the spirits was because when they sold they repented and sold their books that revealed secret incantations. They got rid of them. 50,000 50, pieces of silver. That's what, and it's very similar. I literally, because I shared a story about how and why I got out of deliverance ministry in the 70s, I've had people offer to pay airfare and a huge fee for me to come and pray for them. And I said, you, don't, you didn't read the whole article. I, I told you, I'm trying to tell you why you don't need that. And one guy had already spent thousands. And I kept telling him, believe in Christ, trust the gospel. And he said, well, I found a guy, I think they will only charge 700 to break a curse over me. I'm going to try that. Okay, there's money out there even now. But it's all wasted. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, it dwells and empowers all Christians. Your names are written in the book of life. Whatever the demons do or don't do, part of God's providence, but nothing will harm us because the worst thing is we're graduated to glory. There's two thieves dying with there. One of them cursed Jesus to his dying breath. The other repented. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. If we don't get that in Luke Acts, 
we don't get anything. All right, so that was at 17, let's see here, where were we? Magnified, we were working on that. Magnified is thematic. I, let me get back. Did I show you the silver? That's later. That's later. We haven't got there. All right. Long-winded preachers. There's one of those in the Bible, too. We'll get to that eventually. Yeah, exactly. Remember Paul went so long, this guy fell off a ledge, and they had to pray for him. And then when he got back up, Paul kept preaching and teaching. <laughs> we got to get to that one. Yeah. Us long-winded preachers, we like that kind of help. <laughs> Not excusing it. There we go. What about magnified? There's a preview of this in Luke 146. Luke 146, if someone wants to read that. You probably heard this one. Church history abuses it in some ways. Go ahead. Uh, Luke one. Luke one forty six. And Mary said, "My soul glorifies the Lord, and yeah, my, my spirit rejoices soul exalts in God, my the Lord." Now, that in church history is called the Magnificat. Is that correct? My soul exalts the Lord, and this is a good thing. The Mary of Rome is not the Mary of the Bible. Did you know that? There's, it's a distorted view. Okay? God doesn't take people who are sinners saved by grace and hang them out in the sky and have people come out and look at them through some apparition. He doesn't torment people who are in heaven with him by that kind of... Uh, idolatry. So don't don't believe that. Um, so this idea of exalting or magnified is also found in the Septuagint. If we could look at... Uh, now, the Psalms are numbered differently in the Greek Old Testament, but Psalm 34, 3 uh, contains the same word. Luke 158, I'll read that. I have it in my notes here. Um, her neighbors and her relatives heard what the Lord had dis- that the Lord had displayed His great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. Luke one fifty eight, magnifying her, rejoicing in the Lord. When God saves sinners, everyone who knows the Lord rejoices. Brian, before the class started, told me that. He, you probably heard his story how he was uh, converted and when he went over to talk to the pastor Brian the pastor was afraid of him because he'd been the enemy are you hearing me Brian? Yeah. he didn't want to be okay. but the pastor said oh no I'm, I'm one of you now and uh, Diane and I were married in a church that when she was a little girl her parents warned her don't even go near there they're weird and we're glad to be married there. Go ahead. You you skipped over your Acts 5. Read it. Please read well, it. Well, it's Ananias and Sapphira. So they did all this stuff. And next thing you know, Ananias is dead. And then Sapphira, she 
falls dead and they threw her out in the grave next to her husband. But at the end there, the, the, the church was greatly afraid yeah. and they magnified the Good Lord. Good reading. Thank you. Acts 5.13 he just read. That's thematic. Fear and magnifying the Lord are two responses to the mighty deeds of God. Fear, this is real. This is real. This moment I knew that the gospel was real, my first, this was in seconds, my first response was, there is a hell and I'm going there in my mind. I better believe this. Second was, God got a hold of me and I turned to Christ by his grace. And I think I would have to say that no matter what anybody's conversion story is, that at some point you would have to admit that fear came into play simply because you don't want the alternative to everlasting life. And so any gospel that tells people that... If you join a church, you're going to have better friends, more money, better music. Everything's going to be so great. Just come and enjoy it and let it soak in all this wonderful stuff. And what about the fear of God? And do you have anything on eternal life? And forgiveness of sins. No, 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 don't worry. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, just a, a comment. Uh, to cue off of both uh, Brian and Rich. I mean, I think most of us here know that when we visit with uh, relatives who belong to other faith traditions, they really don't believe in the gospel. Right. And that's where, you know, we have to be critical in terms of bringing about an understanding of what the fear of the Lord is. Right. Right. And uh, I think certainly that's our role in this church as well as any true Christian church. And so that task is something, you know, that we have to all accept, I guess. Yeah, one of the things that, thank you, uh, Peter, and uh, the sharing with each other as we meet new Christians of testimonies is always, we're still telling the great things God did for us, right? And we've had that happen and um, I don't quit telling my testimony. Sometimes different details are, yes. come to mind, but it's all the same thing. Is anybody here any different than, yeah, our outward condition may be a lot different than the guy that was in the tombs. That's as bad as you can imagine. But he went and told what great things God did for him. And... Ultimately, Peter does, yes. Uh, go ahead, uh, Joy. All right, this is, this is totally a little bit off topic. But as I, w- I was reading through this as you were talking and teaching this morning, and I thought about that guy. And it's like, okay, he's been isolated from his family. How long has he been living in the tombs naked? And, you know, and Jesus tells him to go home to his family and tell him what he's done. He probably longed to go back and see his actual home and be, but he didn't. He went into the city and he told everybody he saw. Yeah, he was. The, so he was. He was. He was like, testimony was just pouring out of him everywhere. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't go home to seek God his saves sinners. Biological family. He went to everybody. 
Yeah, he went while well, everybody here is in a small town. I'm old enough to remember. Yeah, he went into whatever uh, gear, the city of the Garazines. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember the cord board. I came up last week. The midnight shift, Diane was the operator, and I worked midnight shift at the feed plant. So when we went back to the work in July, it was hot in there at that feed plant. Oh, man. I dialed zero during my lunch break, and the only one that was going to answer is Diane. <laughs> Cordboard. So, and even before that, small towns, everybody knows everybody. We were on a party line out on the farm. And so, if you called anybody, the lady in Archer knew everything that anybody ever did because it all went through her and it went on and they had different ranks depending on who it was for. So, uh, the name of the Lord is magnified both in judgment. Now here, why would the name of the Lord be magnified when these guys were beat up by a demon and a guy, a demon and a guy and sent naked and wounded? Why would the fear fall on him? Because this is real. Why did Peter say, depart from me, I'm a sinful man? Why do these things happen? Why does this happen on, in the boat? They were fearful. They were amazed. Who is this? Who is this? The question is, this is the Messiah. This is God incarnate. This is the promised one. So then uh, in um, Luke one fifty eight, her neighbors heard the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. And I have some other passages. Second Samuel 7.26, Your name shall be great forever, and they will say, Yahweh of hosts, is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established for you. The things that happened, and Eric has been going through Matthew, which shows details. One of the key things in Matthew is this phrase, in order that it might be fulfilled. And we can look that up. Scripture is fulfilled in very specific detail. Uh, and Eric has pointed that out and continue to do so. Um, we were doing a podcast yesterday, or was it wasn't live, it's recorded. And I mentioned that there's a command in Ezekiel, make for yourselves a new heart. But I, I went and looked it up and found out it really was there. But elsewhere it says, I will give you a new heart. How many of you know that it's impossible for a sinner or a sinful nation like Israel in rebellion against God to make for themselves a new heart? The same thing is found in Jeremiah, the, the guy they threw down in a cistern, dry cistern. Circumcise your hearts. Circumcise your hearts. Well, how can you do that? You can't. What's the next thing it says? I will circumcise your heart. Right? So in Ezekiel um, it's 38, 23, we cited something like this also in that podcast. And so I, I shouldn't call it that. It's going to be a YouTube video, right? 
Okay, it's not live. And so I will, because they had dishonored God, because his people wouldn't listen to him, rebelled against him, Ezekiel 38:23. And so I will magnify myself and I will show myself holy and I will make myself known before the eyes of many nations and they will know that I am Yahweh. That's from the Lexham English Bible. Ezekiel 38:23. Did somebody have a have you looked that one up? Is there I think that's the right translation. Go ahead. Yeah. Ezekiel 38, 23. Mine is from the Lexham Standard Bible. Is that a good one? They're all the same. It's yeah. Yahweh. I will, I will act. I will act for the sake of my holy name. That's what Yahweh says. So even when he brings judgment and judges Israel, and Jeremiah prophesied, they're sent into captivity. He raises up people in captivity, including Daniel, and therefore bringing them back was also bringing honor and glory to God's name. But it's all looking forward to something, and that's Messiah, God the Son. And the purpose is to call forth the people the one new man, Ephesians 2.15, Jews and Gentiles, change them, regenerate them, people filled with the Spirit of God who will bring honor to the name of Yahweh to glorify God in Christ, and not because of who we are, but because of the mercy God's shown us. So I was so shocked in about 19... 95 in the middle of seminary. And I was so shocked when they switched courses and brought in psychobabble and learning your whatever. And they, I, I found a letter the other day I'd written to Elias, that poor guy. Every time I showed up, he goes, oh, no. And then, then Eric brought me. I, well, I've been gone, and he was back. Here we were again. They brought in this stuff that was deterministic. And what they call woke now was called, I called consciousness raising back then. Okay. And when they interviewed me partway through the seminary, when we had some great teachers, they asked why I rarely went to chapel. Well, one reason was I was eventually a pastor again, but I said, I don't need more guilt. I need to know about Christ and the gospel. I don't need consciousness raising. So the more liberal of the two said, well, what do you mean by that? They want to make sure that we feel guilty for the right reasons. So what, what what are you supposed to feel guilty about? So let me help you here. This still applies. This applies, what we're looking at here. There's a very serious problem. It's called sin. God's name is shamed and dishonored. And the problem is the Adamic race. Wherever you're from, in any part of the world, 
whatever your background, your race or your gender, Eric, thank you. There's two, right? Two genders. Many different nationalities. The gathering or the Jews all have the same problem. Sin. There's one way out. Jesus Christ, who died for sins, the just for the unjust. What do you have to be like to be in the category the unjust? So, yeah, you're, you're descended from Adam. In Adam all die. So that's what we need to know. Why complicate it? Okay? There's sinners everywhere. And that's what we were trying to tell Dr. Eliason. He didn't want to hear it. And Eric had to leave. Uh, it's really sad. But it's all here. So you can either study this and look these up and see, wow, God's always said this. I will show myself holy. I will circumcise your heart. Blessed is the man who trusts in God. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Isn't that simple? I think we better hire a fleet of psychologists to find out what our temperament is. What a waste. I don't care. If we trust man, we're cursed. That's all we need to know. The verb... Here, let me quote Dr. Schnabel, great commentary I got more lately here on Acts. The passive of the verb was glorified or magnified, uh, and it gives the, ver- the, the word, is best linked with the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus. As they hear of the failed attempts of Schnabel to drive out an evil spirit by the invocation of the name of Jesus, an attempt that blew up in the faces of the exorcists because they did not believe in Jesus, they realized that there is indeed supernatural power connected with the name of Jesus and that this power, he continues, cannot be manipulated by the use of his name in invocations. It's not magic. It's not how loud you say it. It's not how sincere you are. It's not whether you know yeah, how many times and how, whether you know the exact name of the demon. That's not the point. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're in the same camp as the sons of Sceva, whether you're Jew or Greek or anything. If you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something that's true. And Eric, if you can look up Acts 26, 18, we see that Paul tells a king that he was called before what was necessary. In fact, earlier the guy said, well, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. yeah, 26, 18 of Acts, it says, <clears throat> to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That was what Jesus told Paul in one of his appearances to Paul. He directly told him that. And so some of your Bibles have that in red letters. That's what was told to Paul. He told it to the king, Agrippa. Uh, Now, if... I get the email 
Repentance isn't for Christians. That's just for the Jews. I mean, repentance shouldn't be part of the gospel. That's what people think. So then why did Paul preach it there to this king? Turn, by the way, they say, well, just look it up. Well, turn and repent in Luke-Acts are used interchangeably. We use different terms, because not because they have different meaning, but to show different ways. I think it's epistrephal, turn, turn. So once you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, which all are in because of Adam and the sin that carried on, and believe in Jesus Christ, you're transferred into the kingdom of God in Christ and light. Now you're not in darkness, you're in light. And then the immediate question is, well, but this isn't fair, and this person has less money, this person's suffering, we've got to fix all of this. Well, so go back and read Luke 5 again. What's more important, forgiveness of sins or how pleasant this life may be or not be, depending on what happens or doesn't. Clearly, Luke acts in all of the Bible saying forgiveness of sins. And Jesus is the one who provided forgiveness of sins. And so why isn't that preached? Because we've been deceived by post-millennialism, making life better now, forcing people to serve Christ whether they want to or not, making things better, and then that's all we want to believe. Our grievance, if you're both, one side says, force them to obey Christ. The other says, grievance, force grievance. How about forgiveness of sins? And most of us, and we should, if we're converted, are a lot better citizens. It takes a while, but um, we're a little less angry. I'm pointing at Brian and I. (laughs) I was angry. We both shared our testimony before. But the joy of the Lord comes when he saves us. And people aren't afraid when they see us coming. Usually. They realize they were indeed saved and the power of God happened. But these, these people realize it's not the name, it's the person. Now, I got to, yeah, go ahead. Remember the echo? We did this, Acts 8. He astonished them with magic arts. Simon, go ahead. Would you say that the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord are the same thing? Yeah, the fear of God for the Christian is an acknowledgement of who he is. And the joy of the Lord is the thankfulness for forgiveness of sins. The fear that they experienced on the lake they had because of their mortality and they didn't yet, they're struggling to believe. The true, um, let's go back once and look at this. Look at this. One of these is found, I believe, when Peter preached. Uh, I'm not finding it right now. But remember when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they 
great signs of amazement and joy of what God did. The joy of is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The joy of salvation is amazing. There was a, I remember when uh, Diane and her family, I was part of, we were baptized in that little church across the park where her and her brother were warned not to even go near. Later, that's where we were saved because God in his providence did it that way. Um, There was a lady who was part of a Reformed church in town, which was a really Dutch Reformed, was really big in Sheldon, Iowa, who came to the Lord and said, I want to be immersed because I really want to know that the old person's dead and buried, and they had practiced infant baptism there. I was at that service. The point was, she came, was baptized. The pastor came along to make sure this was not some weird group. She, uh, the song was saying, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. She was full of the joy of the Lord. And whether you were Catholic or Lutheran or whatever we were, liberal Methodist like I was, Pentecostal. Most Pentecostals nowadays don't hear the gospel, as we've heard testimony, because of the seeker movement. And the music, Jessica and I, I don't know if we're going to do this, but music is used to promote the new apostolic reformation. Whole big schemes of music have been written to promote error and heresy. Now, that's not new because the guy who denied the deity of Christ promoted his doctrine through music. There was a time when he was not. There was a time when he was not. They sang it. It's heresy. Jesus is no, it's the Jehovah Witnesses they're called now. So we got to be careful about that. But the point is this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here's the joy of the Lord on a newly saved Reformed person. I have a, a slide here somewhere I showed of the coffee house we had on the corner in Sheldon. First convert was my brother Wayne, who came in, who was serving the Lord. So the name of the Lord is glorified. God has rescued someone from darkness. In the light, we covered this. There's money in selling power over demons. Let's quickly do this. Acts 8, 18 to 21. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this authority. Give me this authority as as well so that everyone upon whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now that's where the term simony in church history came from. Selling offices or power in churches for money. That's what simony is. But even if you bought a bishopric for, this has gone on throughout church history, I don't care how much you spent, do you have the spirit? No, you're still going to hell. So, and so whom I lay hands on may receive the Spirit. But Peter said to him, 
May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion. I think it's Clara. I don't have my Greek in front of me. Kleros and Maris. I may be wrong, but there's terms for an allotment. I was studying that this week, too. The term Kleros, which means a lot or a portion, in some contexts, it's used in 1 Peter 5.3, is where we get the word clergy. And in church history, the clergy are important. And the what's a layout? What's laos? People. The clergy have this heritage, bishoprics, archbishops, whatever you have. And the people are the ones that are supposed to serve the clerics. The laos means laity, clergy laity. That's one of the big lies of church history. There's no clear clergy laity distinction. There are just roles. Next week, I'll preach on that as we do the end of 1 Corinthians 3. It'll be so clear. I learned something the last two weeks studying that. It blew me away. And I, I'm glad I didn't try to write a book before now. <laughs> I promise you, this is amazing. We can't know who's more important now no matter how hard we try. We have Christ, therefore we have an inheritance, and we have everything. Who's who gets sorted out in eternity? There are no bishops. Go ahead. I like the last thing Peter says there is your heart is not right before God. Right. Well, only God is going to circumcise their hearts. They're, they can't buy it with money. Yeah. They, they can't do anything special. That There's nothing that they are going to do to circumcise their own heart like you were talking about before. Right. And this is, again, a preview. There's previews and reviews throughout Luke Acts. But what happened... Let me just read this quickly to you, a few minutes. Acts 16, 16 to 19. I'll read it. It happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Aha! Money, money, to be able to have spiritual power, to be able to manipulate the spirits. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, and what she said was accurate. These men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Sons of Sceva, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preached. It's right, Jesus, but they don't know him. The slave girl doesn't either. Verse 18, Acts 16, 18. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul's greatly annoyed. And he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out at that very moment. Verse 19. Now, before I read it, what would be a good response? Praise God. I need to be free. What do you have for me? No. Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. We've got to get rid of these guys. 
they're ruining our business. Wicked business that it is. The business of magic, fortune telling, and so on. Now, this Demetrius, Acts 19.24, Silver Shrines for Artemis, we'll get to that. And that's where we're going to go next week. In the meantime, no, no, two weeks, three weeks. We've got, there's two more Sundays in July. And so on the next week, I have a sermon ready. We're going to look at the end of 1 Corinthians 3, study ahead. And there's material in there that's just about the same, or at least some of the same terminology as the ending of Romans 8. I haven't had a chance to talk to Eric, so, but I want to do an overview on the 31st, which is Communion Sunday, of Acts, excuse me, Romans 8, 27 to the end. And here's why. Some of the same material is in 1 Corinthians 3. And I have had experience after experience over 30, 40 years that when you tell people that are troubled to read Romans 8, 27 to the end, they get angry. Christians, don't tell me that. I don't want to hear it. And uh, we had people leave the church back in the 80s because I taught Romans 8 and 9 and 10 and so on. So I don't take for granted that Christians even want to know what Romans 8 says. So if you're really alarmed by it, you might not want to come on the 31st, but I'm, I say that a little bit. Maybe that'll get you here. But if you want to learn, if I, I've offered many people the opportunity to correct me and show me that Romans 8, 27 to the end doesn't mean what it says, and they can't and they won't, they just don't like it. Because they want to have the ultimate veto power over what God does. And the other reason is that it doesn't offer comfort to universally the whole world. If you don't know Christ or not a call according to his purpose and not being conformed to the image of Christ, then the world isn't going to turn into paradise. It's heading for judgment. And God will bring us to the end and Satan can't stop it from happening. So now I hope you'll still come. If you don't, and if, if I'm wrong, you can always come to Sunday school next week and show me how I'm wrong. But here's what it is. Are we going to tell what great things God did for us? Or are we going to tell people, I was so smart. I made the right choices. They're not the same. Think about it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Pray for Eric that as he teaches us from Matthew that our hearts would be open to learn to see what you've said and done we pray for each one here that you give us joy and excitement to share the mighty deeds that you've done in our lives thank you lord in jesus name amen god bless